Welcome. Thank you for being back tonight for our Bible study. Tonight we'll be talking about the trumpet judgments began. All right, I need your help to get this Bible study started tonight. I first want to look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, let me just read it for you, and then I'm going to ask for your help in, in a moment. Revelation 8, 1 says, When he, God, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now that verse is intended to get your attention. There is a dramatic pause, if you will, in heaven that John is able to see. John's able to look forward and see the time when when there will be this dramatic pause, similar to what you see on TV. If you watch any of those courtroom shows and, and the jury comes back about to announce a verdict and they say, we, the jury, find the defendant. And there's always this pause, isn't there? I don't know if it is in real life. I, I haven't really been in court that much. But, but on TV, there's always this pause. There's this dramatic pause before they make the announcement of guilty or not guilty. Now, you need to remember something prior to this, what we talked about last time in Revelation chapter 7. Prior to this, they were, John foresaw that there'd be a day when they would have a, a hallelujah time in heaven as, as the, 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 uh, the folks in heaven are celebrating the Savior who's made it possible for them to be there. And we talked about that there'll be people there from every tribe and language and nation and uh, all those folks will be represented there. Uh, that's Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. Uh, let, let's just try to get in our minds what that time will be like. Going back and reading it, Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a, not just a multitude, but <clears throat> what kind of a multitude class? A great multitude. And it was so great that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a what kind of a voice? Remember that. They cried out in a what? In a loud voice. And here's what they cried out. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying. And it doesn't say it was a loud voice, but, but my guess is it probably was. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and forever. Now, I told you that I needed your participation because in the midst of that celebration, in the midst of that loud celebration, Suddenly, John says, there will be an unannounced time of silence. And so here's what I want you to do. And it's not going to have the dramatic effect that I, I hoped it would because you, we can hear the music from the choir practice. But, but let, let's just try to focus on it. Here's what I want you to do. Starting right here, I'm going to split Billy and Miriam right down the middle, right here. So, so on, from here over, I want you guys to begin reading, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So from here over, if you have the NIV at least, it really doesn't matter what translation you have. If you'll just start reading out loud together, this group, right, I'm, it's like I'm directing choir. Y'all ready? Here we go. Re start reading. Salvate, go ahead. Start reading. Just start reading. it. This group over here, everybody else, I need you to read verse 12, beginning with the word amen, praise and glory and wisdom, etc. So this group over here, would you start reading? 
This group over here, make sure on my left, make sure you're reading loud enough. There you go. Now, bring the volume up a little bit. One more time, bring the volume up a little bit more. Stop. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I thought about literally having 30 minutes of silence. Just kind of walking off stage, sitting down, and for 30 minutes, there's silence. But you know why I didn't do it? You didn't do it because I knew you'd get up and go home. It's like, well, I'll be sitting there by myself, so it won't, you know, it's not going to have the effect. But have you ever been in a situation where all of a sudden there was silence and it was awkward? almost uncomfortable in this situation as this hallelujah time is occurring in heaven and and the people in heaven are praising the savior who made it all possible and and the saints and the elders and and the angels and everybody's praising the lord all of a sudden it says when he opens the seventh seal there is silence a dramatic pause for 30 minutes interesting that he he gives us the time frame isn't it I don't know the spiritual significance of that, but it's interesting that he gives us the time frame. John says it was about a half an hour, and there was silence. There was this dramatic pause. There was this quietness. It's hard for us to imagine because of the noise we can hear, but if all of a sudden you were worshiping God, and when they opened the seals, everything and everyone grew silent. And it stayed that way for 30 minutes. By the end of that 30 minutes, there would be this sense of what is about to happen. Because you know it's tied to the opening of this seventh seal. And when this seventh seal is open and all of a sudden heaven literally gets silent. There would be this sense of pending doom, this sense of catastrophe, this sense of awesomeness, this sense of uncertainty, because in the midst of, of this time where there's this celebration, all of a sudden there is this silence. So let's look at the scripture together and see what all of that is about. You see, the opening of the seventh seal leads to the beginning of the seven trumpet judgments. Let me say that again. The opening of the seventh seal. Remember, this, the opening of the, of the seals begins in chapter 6. And I told you last week that chapter 7 is basically a, a pause. It is a parenthesis. And so, the opening of this seventh seal is the beginning of the seven judgment trumpet judgments so let's read the text and see what happens when God the Lamb of God opens the seventh and final seal Revelation chapter 8 beginning again in verse 1 when when he opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about half an hour 
And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven what, church? Seven what? Seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up. Where did, where did it go up? Before God. You might want to note that in your Bible. You might want to underline that. That these prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Have you ever prayed and wondered if it was doing any good? Come on, don't, don't act spiritual. You have, surely. I have. Times when I've prayed, it's like, did God even hear that? Does God even care that I prayed? Did it even get past, did my voice get past the roof? Here in Revelation, we have this beautiful picture of the prayers of the saints. And and we don't know if these prayers are the prayers of all mankind, or if it's simply perhaps the prayers of the saints as they prayed during the time of tribulation. One of those two, we, we really, Scripture doesn't say, but regardless, it's a beautiful picture that these prayers are come from the saints are coming up before God. Verse 5, then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, you, visually, we need to get this in our mind, that in heaven there's this loud, raucous celebration. And, and then all of a sudden, there's 30 minutes of silence. Then the angel takes the, the censer filled with fire from the altar, hurls it upon the earth, and now, now notice there's no longer silence because look what it says. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Verse 6. It says, Then... The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The idea of the trumpets in this context would be significant because John was a Jew and he understood the significance of the trumpet in the Jewish history, in the Jewish national life. According to Numbers chapter 10, I don't think this is on your notes. You might want to write the reference in the side column. According to Numbers chapter 10, trumpets had three important uses. Now, the three important uses, I think, are on your notes, but not the... The scripture reference is Numbers 10. Uh, but, but according to Numbers 10, the trumpets in the days of Israel had three important uses. Number one, they were used to call people together for worship. And you, you can write down the reference for that. Uh, Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19. That's Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19. Uh, at Mount Sinai, as the law was given, they sounded the trumpet, and it was to call the people of God together for worship. Number two, trumpets were used in the Old Testament to call people together for war. Can you think of a famous battle where trumpets were used? Yes, Joshua and the battle of Jericho. And that text is Joshua 6, verses 13 through 16. And then third, trumpets were used to call the people of God to witness special times. For example, when a king was anointed and enthroned, for, for example, in 1 Kings chapter 9, if I can read my writing correctly, uh, chapter 9, verse 34 and 35, that's in 1 Kings, 
uh, and these, the trumpets were sounded to, for everyone to come and witness this special event, this special time. As the seven angels prepare to sound the seven trumpets, here's how the Bible describes it. Verse 6, then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. I think this was not sounding the trumpets because of worship, but sounding the trumpets because of war that is about to come on the earth. As sounding the trumpets as a witness to what is about to happen on the earth. And it's going to be quite dramatic. Now, don't forget that the number seven is a significant number in Revelation. I think I put this on your notes, but seven stands for what, church? Completeness, wholeness, completeness. The time of tribulation will be a time when God completely judges sin and evil. It will be a, a time of seven years, and it will be a time of wrath, where God completely pours out His wrath and brings judgment on His people. There will be, it's interesting as you read the text in chapter 6, 7, 8, and on, uh, there's seven seals, there's seven trumpets, there's seven bowls, and there's seven angels who carry out much of the judgments of God. Now, so tonight, what we're going to do would be, we'll begin to look at these seven trumpet judgments that will occur and describe them for you. We'll get four of them, uh, I think, in tonight, then we'll look at the other three. Uh, but the, the first four are uh, significant. In fact, I think I put this on your notes. The seven trumpets can be broken down into two categories. The first four trumpet judgments target the world in which we live. The land, the sea, the fresh water, and the heavenly bodies. And the last three trumpet judgments are directed toward people who live in that world. So, with that background, let's begin to look at these trumpet judgments. We're in chapter 8. We're going to go to verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hell and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. And here's the result. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So in this first trumpet, when this angel sounds the trumpet and this first judgment strikes the earth, tell me please, what is the judgment? What happens? What, what, do, what does the angel send according to the text? Fire and hell. Is there anything else? And blood. Fire destroys. Hell certainly destroys. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever been in a hailstorm where it was really big hailstones? Do, do you think about how painful that is? What if they were enormous hailstones? Then you'd have a lot of blood, wouldn't you? A lot of destruction, a lot of death. Now, the result is, let's try to think about how all this affects our world. First of all, the question has been asked, are these literal judgments that are coming, or is this symbolic language? Well, the best indication that these are literal judgments is to study them in connection with the rest of Scripture. Very interesting that most people believe that the plagues in Egypt during the days of Moses were literal judgments. In fact, let me just take a vote. Do you believe that the plagues in Egypt recorded in Scripture, uh, do you believe that those plagues are literal, or do you think that they are symbolic? If you believe they're literal, raise your hand. All right, that motion carries. 
We believe that they are literal judgments. Now, here's what you might want to write down on the side bar there. Five of the plagues of Egypt are repeated in Revelation. If you sit there and say, well, I, I, I'd say that the plagues in Egypt were literal, not just symbolic. Well, you need to understand that five of those are, in essence, recreated and, and explained. And the repeated might be a better word in the book of Revelation. Uh, there are other places in Scripture where uh, literal judgments occurred. Uh, we don't take the time to read it, but in, in Genesis chapter 19, verses 24 through 28, God sent, well, let's just go ahead and read it. Uh, Genesis 19, it won't take long. It's interesting what he sent on the earth. Genesis 19. Verse 24. This is God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, verse 24, Then the Lord rained down, burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities, and also the what? Vegetation. Note that. Also the vegetation in the land. And Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a forest. This first trumpet judgment is directed toward the green vegetation in our, in our land. When God announces his first judgment, when the trumpet blows and, and God sends that judgment on, our, on the land, the Bible says that, that our, our world will literally be affected. Look at it again, in beginning of verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hell and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth, and a third, notice this, a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. One-third of the world's surface will be burned up. Now, now have you ever seen, perhaps on, on television, maybe you've experienced it yourself, but have you ever seen on television the devastating forest fires that occur? Usually they're out west somewhere in California somewhere, and, and, and they're devastating because they burn hundreds or thousands of acres, and they burn everyone's homes, and, and it has a, an economic impact on that area, an incredible economic impact. And there's loss of life sometimes. And, and it makes all the headlines because, because hundreds or thousands of acres in a small part of California was burning. Now, I'm not trying to downplay that. That is very serious. And uh, it's, there's nothing to make light of there except that's just a small part of a small a small part of a county in California. Imagine what it will be like, ladies and gentlemen, when it is a third of the earth. And it's all burning. And every, all the vegetation is gone. When we were in Thailand, uh, some of the guys are here that, went to, well, all the guys are here that were, went to Thailand with me, but when we were in Thailand, uh, it was smoky while we were there. And one of the reasons it was so smoky, you, you couldn't see, for instance, most days you couldn't see the mountains in the distance, though they weren't that far away. You couldn't see them. They would tell us there's mountains right over there. 
but we couldn't see them. And they, we'd be at the hotel. They said, now there's a ring of mountains that surrounds this whole town, but you just can't see it. And it was because it was so smoky. And the reason it was so smoky was because this was the time of year that, that, time of year that were, they were burning off their fields. And because um, Chiang Mai is in a valley surrounded by the mountains, it's like a bowl, and it just kind of holds the smoke there over the city. Again, that's just one small little town. Well, it's not small, but, but one town. Imagine a third of the earth burning, vegetation gone. Think about the financial impact it will have when, when the land is blackened and charred and smoldering all across America, all across Europe, Australia, Africa, and many other continents. Think of the financial crisis we will be in. Think about when all the wildlife dies and there is smell of death in the air and a cloud of smoke doesn't just cover the city of Chiang Mai, but the cloud of smoke covers a third of the earth. Our ecosystem will be thrown chaotically out of balance. Our food supply will suddenly go into crisis mode. We, will, we won't have the fruits and the vegetables to eat. Uh, we, Everything will be devastated. Prices will soar. The food supply will dwindle because a third of the earth will be charred, smoldering. And then listen to me. Listen. Are you listening? That's just the first judgment. I hope we're raptured out before then, don't you? That's just the first judgment. Then, second trumpet is sounded, beginning with verse 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet, something like a huge mountain all ablaze. John said, I don't know what it was, but it was like a huge mountain. And it was on fire, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, turning water into blood, does that sound familiar to anyone? Remember what happened in, in Exodus chapter 7? The first Egyptian plague, the water was turned to blood. And as I told you, these literal judgments that occurred in Exodus, some of those are repeated in these judgments at the end of the world. And this judgment results in a triple catastrophe. A, a third of the salt water turns into blood. A third of the marine life die. A third of the ships are destroyed. So talk to me. You, you talk to me here. What do you think that the outcome of that will be for our country and for the countries of the world? Just try to, in your mind, imagine what, what that would be like. Well, what's the outcome going to be? I say it a lot louder. Devastating. Somebody smarter than me, tell me, answer this question. The, the, the oceans cover about how much of the earth's surface? 71%, roughly three quarters of the earth's. That's a pretty detailed number there, Tom. You just Googled it, okay? <laughs> Thank God for Google, all right? The. <laughs> That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Th think about the three types, well, there's probably more than three types, but three prominent types of ships that, that go across the oceans. Uh, and I'm not trying to make light of this, but, but if you were on one, it, it would affect you. Cruise liners. They're all going across the ocean all the time. Some of you said, honey, we're not going to take that cruise now. I'm sorry, we're, we're going to cancel that one. But, but just think about it. cruise liners are going across the ocean. Battleships, military ships going across the ocean. Cargo ships carrying food. You hear that one? Cargo ships carrying food. Supplies. And the Bible says that uh, the ships will be destroyed. How, you say, well, how, how are the ships destroyed? I, I don't know how all that works, how those, those kind of ships work, but, but trying, to, trying to glide through blood... Not trying to be gross, but trying to glide through blood is probably going to clog up everything. Mm -hmm. Imagine floating on this water and a third of the fish in the sea are dead. It is, listen, to, let me get down here and talk to you. It is fascinating to me. I don't know I don't want to get chasing a rabbit here, but it's fascinating to me how many, how many fish are in the water. I mean, just in a place like Lake Hartwell. Have, have you ever seen people, have you ever been on one of these fishing trips, these guided tours, or maybe you're just a good fisherman and you, you just slay them and you just go out there and say, man, we got 25 fish. They were everywhere. And that 25 fish is a drop in the bucket compared to what's in that lake. Go to the ocean. If you go to the ocean, it, there, there's not thousands of fish in the ocean. There are probably millions of fish in the ocean. And the Bible says, and a third of those will be dead. Can you imagine the stink? Oh, my goodness. Imagine the smell of the blood and the fish. And, and as Jamie said, and, and these ships broken down, and some of them military ships and I mean, the, the catastrophe, the economic impact. That the world, how a third of the world is charred and smoldering. And, and when you go to the water, then uh, it's blood and the ships are destroyed. Imagine the chaos when everything's crippled. And, and then let's go to the third trumpet. Because in case you're saying, well, you know what, I, I'm going to sell my house at the beach and I'm I'm going up the mountains where there's a fresh spring water. Well, let, let's just read verse 10. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the what? Springs of water. Interesting. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. You know, they say you can survive about three days without water before you literally die of thirst. And imagine the panic that will grip the world when, when a star strikes, some type of meteor strikes, and our water system, and a great number of people will not be able to find suitable water to drink. You've, you followed probably the water crisis in Flint, Michigan. 
where we tried to get water. We've tried to get water for a long time now. I don't know if it's, res- if it's now uh, resolved, but when I was following it previously, every day they were taking truckloads and truckloads and truckloads of bottled water into Flint, Michigan, just trying to give these people something to drink, just trying to keep them alive, just trying to help them have water to cook with and water to bathe with. And that was just one little town. And it was, it was a major ordeal and may still be trying to get drinkable water to Flint, Michigan. How are you going to handle it when it's a third of the, of the world? You say, well, I'm going to go to the creek. Well, the creek is, is bitter water. How are you going to handle it when it's a third of the world? Wormwood, it's interesting that the uh, star, the meteor, has a name, Wormwood. Wormwood literally means bitter or undrinkable. Uh, I'm told that wormwood is also a plant or an herb that is bitter and some say is poisonous. You, you can Google it there if you have time. Uh, that You'll probably find a picture of it. Wormwood is known as bitter and poisonous. Then there's the fourth trumpet. Fourth trumpet. To me, it just gets more and more amazing and more and more interesting. Beginning in verse 12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon... And a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. Now, what you probably have thought about and what I've thought about, and I quite frankly don't have the answer for it, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you that now because I know after the study you're going to come ask me. So so let me go ahead and tell you now. I don't know. Why a third? I don't know. If you've got the answer, you can share it with us or share it with me later. Uh, As far as I know, the Bible doesn't say specifically why everything is a third, but but let's just go on and look at it now for a second. A third of the heavens, basically, will, will be desolated. Uh, this fourth judgment, I'm sorry, let, let me go back. I said that wrong. Read it again. Let me try to correct myself. Verse 12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned Dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Now, though it says a third of the heavens was affected, you understand that that's going to affect the entire world. That a third of the sun is, is, is affected, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, but all of that will have an impact on the entire world. Uh, this judgment deals with the source of Earth's life and energy, the sun. This is similar to the ninth plague of Egypt where darkness covered the land for three days. In fact, there's a very interesting scripture I want you to read with me. Uh, Boy, it's picturesque. It's in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21 through 23, if you want to write down that reference. Uh, Exodus chapter 10. This, This judgment is going to be very similar to what happened in Egypt in the ninth plague. Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. plague of darkness. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt. And look how it's described. Darkness that can be felt. Isn't that interesting? 
So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Total darkness, and I, I just I think it's very interesting how Moses wrote it. He said how God described it: darkness that can be felt. Imagine living in a world where it is dark more than it is light. For a good part of every 24-hour day, you don't even see the sun or the moon or the stars. And you say, well, I'll keep the lights on. I'm not sure there will be lights. You think of all the, the other things that we've talked about thus far. And if, if there's that kind of devastation worldwide, I'm not sure the power grid is going to hold up under that. What would it be like to live in a place where it is dark longer than it is light? What would it be like to live in a world where the darkness can be felt? Luke tells us a, a little bit about what that will be like. Go to Luke chapter 21 and write that reference down on your notes, Luke chapter 21, verse 25. Luke chapter 21, verse 25 and 26. Luke, as he's, or Jesus, as he's describing... What's going to happen at the end of the world says there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Men will faint from terror and apprehension. As they see the devastation occurring all around the, the globe. And all of a sudden as the heavens grow dark. Men will faint from terror. Imagine how that darkness will affect your psyche. You know they, they say uh, in Alaska. That there, there are times that during the day it's dark. I've never been there, but I've seen a little bit about that, that there are times of the year where even though you're out there in the middle of the day, it's dark. And they talk about how depression escalates during that season because you can't experience the light. You're always in the dark. But that's just the season. Think of the vast challenges you will have if the darkness is not a season, but the darkness is permanent. Oh, it might get dark or light a little bit of the day, but it'll be probably more dark than day. And it's never going to get any better. That season won't pass. And if you think all that's bad, you need to read verse 13. We're going to go out on good news. Not. Verse 13. Here's what it says. Well, let me get back to Revelation. I'm still in Luke. Verse 13 says, 
as I watched, this is John speaking, John says, as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe! Woe! Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. You know what, what he's saying? Yes. He's saying, if you think this is bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. If you think this is bad, it's going to get a whole lot worse. And so we come to the realization, everybody, I think you will agree with this, we come to the realization, we are not God. We are not in control. But there is a sovereign God who has a plan for our world. And you need to make sure that you know Him personally. You need to make sure you're ready for when that time is coming. You say, well, I don't believe all that's going to happen. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's going to happen. Whether you believe it or not has no impact on what God's plan is. God's not up in heaven saying, oh, got to call that off. Bobby down there doesn't believe. It's going to happen regardless. You say, well, I don't even believe there is a God. It doesn't matter. He's still going to do what He's going to do. And the fact that you don't believe in Him is not going to change what He's about to do in our world. And ladies and gentlemen, not trying to be an alarmist, but, but you know and I know, we're getting closer and closer to that day. We really are. I could say some more about that, but I think we'll wait. But let, let me ask you to bow your heads as I close out in prayer. Here, here's what I want to do. As we close out in prayer, so Pastor, God must really hate this world that we're living in. All that's going to happen, God must really hate this world and the people who live in it. No, no, not at all. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through Him might be saved. There is... With undeniable, it's undeniable, there is God's wrath. But it's also undeniable, there is God's love. And here's how John writes it in John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. I would much rather be a recipient of God's love than a recipient of God's wrath. One day, for a period of seven years, God's wrath will be poured out on this world. Until that time, God's love is being poured out on this world. Please do not reject His love. Or you will one day experience his wrath. Father.
this is way beyond us, way beyond what we can totally understand and comprehend, but thank you so much that you are a God of love, that you love us so much you sent your one and only Son into the world, that we might have a relationship with you and that we might one day escape the coming judgment. And I pray, Lord, for anyone who is not prepared for that day, that they would turn their heart to you and in genuine repentance, they might surrender their life to you. And I pray that in Christ's name, amen.